Well, happy Canada Day weekend, everyone. I just want to thank you for taking a bit of time and using your freedom to join us uh, and just uh, experience what God has for us this morning. How many of you believe that God has good things in store for us? Amen. You know, even if times are tough and, you know, it's raining outside, we know that there's good days ahead, right? Hallelujah. It's, uh, it's great to be here on Canada Day weekend. Halifax is a beautiful city, even in the fog. <laughs> I'm a little biased living here, but it's pretty, right? It is. Uh, and you know what? Honestly, like Luke said, there is a lot for us to celebrate when we think about our country. Um, there's incredible stories of sacrifice, um, of unity in difficult times, and even love. And we thank all God for all of that and much more. Some of those unsung heroes, those grandmothers who made us quilts, those folks who prayed for us who we didn't even know. You know, we are truly blessed. If we're completely honest, though, there's some stories in the history book about our country that are hard to read. And that's just being honest. That's okay. That's being fair. There is a lot to celebrate, but the truth is in our country, um, there's been some folks who have been hurt. And I only acknowledge that to say that we're on this side of heaven right now, but we're believing for more. And we're believing for God to come down and invade our country just like Luke prayed. One of my favorite things is what Luke also mentioned is just the international community of Canada. Hallelujah. I mean, International Christmas. I don't know if you guys were here, but you've got nothing going on next December. Let's invite our brother Yemi to just be faithful with that and grow that. I mean, guys, we had food. Okay, I like food. We had samosas. We had Newfie um, fish. We had food from Iran, Iraq. Oh my gosh, there was food from all over Asia. Filipino noodles. Can I get an amen? Is anyone else loving that stuff? Yay, Jesus. And you know what? Poutine is okay. <laughs> For me, when I come to those events, when I come to Faith Church, it's an encouragement to me. It's an encouragement to my heart because I feel like I'm getting a bit of a picture, a bit of a window of heaven. And when we look outside these walls and we can see there are things that, they're hard. There's hearts, their lives have been touched by tragedy, even in our own city. You know, there's... Um, brokenness, there's pride, and there's hurt, but there's also hope. Sometimes in life, things don't go the way you planned. You ever have a plan? <laughs> you ever ask God what his plans are? <laughs> sometimes they don't add up, and sometimes you find yourself thinking, how did I get here? How did this happen? Sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes it's in a doctor's office. But I'm telling you, I've seen miracles. Many of you have seen miracles, medically verified miracles. I believe that if it's God's will, and I believe it is, that, that some of you are going to heal today. I've seen people healed in front of me in real time. I've met a man who was raised from the dead. 
I believe there is hope in a world that needs it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here today and you love us more than we could even know. We pray for Pastor Glenn and Debbie. We thank you for their love and commitment to you and this city and the vision you have, God, to reach hearts across this region and around the world. God, won't you speak this morning in a way that we can all understand. Bring us your hope and your word and your love and your power in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, things can go crazy. They can go sideways. There's, you know, you plan the trip and then all of a sudden you forgot this item or the flight's delayed or the next thing you know, you're, you're, you know your family's uh, <laughs> in the middle of an airport and half of them are in front of the, uh, you know, customs. Half of them are behind. There's questions and you're thinking, what is this? You know, sometimes it's a child that you're raising and all of a sudden you get a call that they're in the hospital because the addictions they've been suffering from have put them in a position where they're on life support right? Sometimes it's a loved one who's got a diagnosis, but the great thing is, as, as Nathan and the team sang today, you know what? He's bigger than the storms. Sometimes you think and ask these questions about life, like what is going on? And it doesn't seem to make sense because you see what's going on in your neighborhoods and you're thinking, where, where's the light? But can I encourage you this morning? There is a light. If you're Christian, it's in you hope. One story that really encourages me about fresh starts in the Bible is in, is in a place that's really the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus is a cool guy. I, I, if you don't know him, I want to encourage you to take some time to get to know him. It might be worthwhile. Um, he was ministering in Judea and having success, and people were connecting to him and following him. And um, as he was doing that, he was receiving attention. There were no paparazzi back then, but definitely word spread, right? Like he was getting known. And some of the people he was getting known to, they weren't impressed with him. I don't know if you've ever met a religious person. I mean, some of you have been to church, it looks like here. So maybe you have met a religious person. And I, with all due respect, Jesus loves hypocrites. Otherwise, none of us would be here, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you have for me and everyone else who's trying to walk forward in faith. But there were some guys, some Pharisees, and they were people who were pretty committed to some rules and some laws that went even further than Scripture and the things that they were kind of professing. They were a little off. They were missing a message of love and hope. I'm not saying they were all off, but certainly as a very strict religious sect of Judaism that wasn't appreciating a young guy named Jesus, a rabbi who was coming around and healing on a day when everyone was only supposed to take so many steps a guy who was spending time with um, prostitutes, which is awesome. I love Jesus. Man, spending time with tax collectors, those guys were treasonous. In their country, they were colluding with the Romans. And who does Jesus cozy up with? Those guys. When I look at Jesus, I can't help but love him because I know that he gives people hope and freedom. They get nowhere else. Maybe you've tried drugs. It's boring. It's not fulfilling. You've tried alcohol. It won't do it. Food, I enjoy food, but I love Jesus. Sex, drugs, rock and roll will not fulfill us, but there's a hope that Jesus was bringing into Judea that was drawing attention, that was counter-cultural to some of the norms that were uh, really held and established by some people who were pretty committed to them. So he was feeling the heat. 
And in John chapter four, John records a story of what Jesus chooses to do. Now, truly, I believe that Jesus laid his life down, okay? He, he could have just come and wiped us out with the first mistake we made, but that's not our God, right? He's a God of hope and healing and restoration. He's a God who believes in you. He's not the voice who says you're no good. He says you are. He says, yeah, you made mistakes, but there's hope. Now let's go. And so he's got this group of disciples, ragtag guys, fishermen, tax collectors. Some of them have been successful in business. Some of them have been profiting at the expense of others um, with little less integrity <laughs> than they probably should have had. But that's who he grabs. And they're a beacon of hope to a world. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there's more than 12, right? God's up to something. He wants people to have his hope. So this story about Jesus' trek through the wrong side of the tracks happens in Samaria. In chapter 4, it says, he had to pass through Samaria. And the reason I point that out is this. He was feeling the heat. He knew he was going to die. And he knew he was going to resurrect, but he knew he was going to die. But the time had not yet come. Jesus had a plan, and he has a plan for you, but Jesus had a plan to die. When? Passover. Why? So that we could make the connection and understand the meaning of the sacrifice. I don't want to pretend that there isn't more to that, but he knew this wasn't the time. If he wanted to, he could have just said, arrest me, try me right now. But still, there was something that had to happen. So when I tell you that Jesus went to Samaria, I just want to invite you to take a moment to pause and think about why did Jesus go to Samaria? During the Assyrian captivity exile, Samaria had been wiped of most of its Jewish population and people had been brought in who were other people groups with different worldviews, different religions and perspectives that honestly the Jews would call pagan. And so what happened there was that as time went on, their religion became almost hybrid. They didn't go to the temple to worship. They worshiped on the mountains. They'd been commanded to. They weren't doing it. You can't tell me what to do. You ever run into that attitude? You ever have that attitude? Yeah, me too, Sonny. <laughs> yeah. So they were worshiping on a mountain in ways to connect to some higher power that really they were not, they were outside of Jewish traditions and culture. And truthfully, the Jews didn't think much of the Samaritans at the time. Now, I'm not saying there weren't some good Jews at the time who just loved their neighbors and all that stuff. But Jesus purposely takes his disciples to Samaria. Okay? Jesus goes to the wrong side of the tracks. And who does he meet at this watering hole? He sits down. The, the one thing I like is Jesus is a man. He's a person. He's real. Now, I get that he's fully God and fully man. But what it says here is kind of neat. Chapter 5, or chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a city, uh, a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This is Israel, guys. This is a place where Joseph, Israel, like, this, this is originally Israeli, right? And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, here is the humanity, was wearied from his journey. Yes, our Messiah is so humble that he became a human being. He ate, he drank, he lived, he bathed, and he even got tired for us. Now, he didn't need to because on the sixth day, it was done. God rested on the seventh, you know? 
And he could have stayed there in glory, but he didn't. He came to us. The story of Samaria is a coming to. It's an incarnational story. It's a story of a God who cares, who cares enough to transcend cultural boundaries, who will go to places that aren't popular. He will go to the places where there are drug dealers and he will bring hope. He will go to prostitutes. He'll go to men who feel like they've fallen down and have no hope in corporate offices in Halifax, Vancouver, and across Canada. People who have won the Stanley Cup and say, now what? And then they have depression. Jesus is for everyone. He will go to the places where there are religious zealots who are getting it wrong because God is love. That's awesome. So he's tired and he's thirsty. And honestly, it's the sixth hour and there's debate whether that's noon or six. But the point is, it was mealtime. I like my food. I don't know if you guys like your food. Anyone like their food? You ever try fasting? God bless Sandra. She fasts like, I'm telling you, she is dedicated. Like. He sits down for a rest, and who's he meet at the old watering hole? A woman. Well, that's to be expected, right? You know, you go to the local watering hole, you meet a girl. <laughs> Happens all the time. We'll do ministry out, and uh, I love going down to the harbor, and you're watching people hooking up, and you're like, really? Really? <laughs> okay. You know, people go to the harbor for different things. They go to see or to be seen or to hook up or whatever. But you know what? God's down there too. And this is where God showed up, was talking to a woman, which culturally he wasn't supposed to do. Well, he wasn't supposed to be in Samaria to begin with. And he's certainly not supposed to be talking to a girl. That's inappropriate. That's boundaries. That's beyond the lessons they give at youth group where they're like, be careful. And this is Marina Rocks, by the way. This is not her youth group. This is when I was a kid. You know, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Guys, they're there for a reason and they're good. But these guys had extreme boundaries. Men weren't talking to women. And uh, Jesus just said, no, she's worth it. I'm going there. That's awesome. She doesn't get it. She's like, how is it that you being a Jew, you're hanging out with me? And he even, he asked her for a drink. Okay, so there came a woman um, uh, from Samaria to draw water. This is verse seven. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you being a Jew? Ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There's people out in around Halifax and probably where you're from if you're visiting that the world says are too dirty. Don't touch. Don't talk. Don't care. Pass by. But Jesus says, go. Invest. Love. Sometimes people just need a reminder that they're loved because there hasn't been anything in their life that's shown them that they're loved. Story's about to get a bit more interesting. Next several verses, starting in chapter four, verse 10, <clears throat> Jesus has a conversation with her about water. Now he meets her where she's at and he's talking and saying, hey, you know, do I have some water for you? <laughs> I've got water that will satisfy you that will fulfill you. So you will never 
be thirsty again. Sounds good. She's still operating the flesh. She's kind of like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I wouldn't mind that because I wouldn't have to come here and draw water anymore. And he's like, that's not quite the point I'm making. But he's not cruel. He's a good teacher. <clears throat> he certainly has her attention. And the woman said to him, you know what? Give me this water. This is verse 15. Give me this water so I'll never be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, okay, go call your husband to come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. What does Jesus say to her? You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. If we just pause for a moment and think about this, Jesus took time to encounter this woman, a Samaritan woman who is part of pagan rituals in a lifestyle with broken relationships, a series of them. So either she's trusting the wrong guys or running from guy to guy. I don't know what, but this certainly looks like adultery, fornication, whatever. It's sin. And did he sit there and condemn the woman? No. No. He had conversation with her. And as we go further in the story, you're going to see that she starts to understand who Jesus is and her identity completely changes so that she's not recorded in Scripture as a woman who just had five husbands and was with another man. She's recorded as an evangelist. Sound pretty good? So instead of living for herself, her own pleasure, her own survival, she connected with the Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God, became a part of his story and is talked about across nations. There's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your children. There's hope for your neighbors. There's hope for the school system. There's hope. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Something different about this guy. He knows a few details about her life. Our fathers worshipped in the mountain, and you people, you ever been you people, come from away? I was born in Ontario. (laughs) I love Halifax. Pretty spot. Our fathers worshiped in the mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Cultural boundary, religious boundary, it's about to get broken. Hold on, put on your seatbelt. Verse 21, Jesus says to her, woman, and that's not derogatory. He's just acknowledging, you're like, hey, okay. Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. And you might know people who are into occult. Wicca, different religions, whatever. And some people know what they're dealing with, and some people don't. 
Jesus isn't being cruel to her here. If you look at the dialogue he's having with her here, he's just helping her to reframe perspective, okay? To help her eyes to see that there's more. There's something better. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman because there's hope. Because there is a fresh start. There is a new beginning. There is hope. He's not wasting his time. And he's not doing it alone. Remember those guys who came into town to get him food? They're coming back. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You start to wonder at this point in the story if there's a bit of hope stirring in her heart, if the connections are coming, or if this is protest. But anyway, she says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus says to her, self-declaring God, by the way, I who speak to you am he. Do you know how many prophecies there are about the Christ in words that were written thousands years ago that culminate in Jesus? It's hard to fathom of Yod, everlasting father, what man is going to be an everlasting father? God. You know, wonderful counselor. I mean, it just goes on. Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, like all these pieces. I mean, they culminate in Jesus. He's not pretentious. He's not looking down with her. He's spending his time with a woman who had been in adultery, and he's loving her, breaking cultural boundaries because love is expensive sometimes, right? Love costs us something. And there's a symbol on the wall over there that is a symbol of execution that reminds us of the humiliation and torture that our Savior experienced because of how much he loved the world, because of how much God loved the world, because in his family there was honor, and he honored his father who said, go. Go, into, go to Jerusalem, be born as a baby, Grow up, go through persecution, go the places I tell you, walk through hardship, celebrate at weddings, cry at funerals, go to Samaria and talk to a woman sitting by a well who is caught in a lifestyle that's destroying her and her reputation amongst her people and bring her hope. Wow. We are so blessed. I honestly believe Jesus did what he did for a reason, and I think there's a point to this story, and I think the point is about to show up. It's recorded in scripture by John because he was one of the disciples. God could use someone else, but one of his disciples saw what happened. They honored their leader. They honored their Messiah, and they didn't understand what he was doing, and they didn't question him, but they're thinking like, dude, why are you talking to her? And that's the question that he's about to answer. <laughs> God's got a good sense of humor. I love him. 
The woman leaves the water pot, runs into the city, grabs some guys and says, guess what? I have met a man who knows my life. He knows my whole life story. Isn't this the Messiah? Come. Her life has changed. Her life has completely changed. Completely changed. Now the truth is Jesus did spend time in Judea. He spent time in Samaria. He spent time in Galilee. And there were even religious hypocrites, no offense, but there were Pharisees who even followed, right? Because he's for everyone. He is for you. He is for your loved one who doesn't know that hope yet. He's for your boss or neighbor or coworker who hurts you, people who mistreat you. Pastor Glenn's so humble, sometimes he'll say, hey, I haven't even made my best mistakes yet. Hang on. And he's just... We break that curse off. He's doing awesome. But he's just being humble enough to say, I'm a man. I'm a man too. I've done good things as a dad, and I've messed up. That's being honest. Husband too. I've done good stuff, and I've messed up. How about you? We can't afford to ignore the Samaritans out there. Because the truth is, at some point in our story, we've probably been one, Right? In the Bible, it says that we've all sinned. And if you're kind of thinking like, what's up with that? If you look at God's standard, it's pretty hard to keep it. So <laughs> it's a benefit to allow him to do it through us with love. Like you can sell someone the truth, but if you do it in faith and love, like Jesus did, wow. Oh, I'm just telling the truth. No, you're being a jerk. You're totally being a jerk. I'm not saying you guys are being jerks. I've been told a few things in my life, and I probably was being a jerk. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is the hope. He models to us hope, and he cares for you. He wants us to have a fresh start. He wants people out there to have a fresh start, and I believe it's coming. I believe it's here, and I believe it's now. The people gather, the Samaritans, people have been worshiping hybrid religions, and they beg him to stay. Stay with us. Stay with us, Messiah Jesus. Stay with us. Teach us. What's Christ's message? It's so simple. It's so simple. He showed it there, but this is what he says. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And before you think that's a heavy, hold on and wait from this. Shuv, turn, a new way of thinking, a new perspective. This woman had opportunity like Zacchaeus and like Matthew to live a new life, to realize that the things of the world are not fulfilling, to realize there's something better, something bigger, something hopeful. There's people here who have been waiting for, for a spouse. There's people here who have been waiting for a word from God. There's people here who have been lied to, cheated, stolen from, abused. And I'm telling you that God is bigger than the storm. And if you will let him, he will meet you where you're at. He will rescue you. He will lift you up. And he will bring you forward into a bright and glorious future. Now, hold on. I don't mean that everything in this life will be easy. It wasn't for Christ. It wasn't for his followers. But you're not alone. 
So if you, like me, have experienced things and you've wronged someone or you have been wronged by someone, you're not alone. And I say this because the repentance piece, the shuv, the turning that you saw in the lady's life or Zacchaeus or Paul who met Jesus when he was killing Christians is real. It's not heavy. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm just not going to have a fun life anymore now that I'm a Christian. Really? You ever see someone get healed? It's pretty cool. It kind of freaks me out sometimes what God does. God has amazing plans for you. I can see there's so many gifts across this church. You guys are so loved and so valued. We have so much fun being here because of the family that we have. We're not perfect. There's a guy in heaven. He is. We're in process, but we're in it together. So I'm going to ask you, well, two quick things. The first is this. The life of the devil tries to get us a part of. What's his, what's his operation? Why, 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 what is he up to? What's his motivation? Well, it says the thief comes in John chapter 10, verse 20. He comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, he came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. That's eternal life. When you feel that peace of God, there's nothing that can touch it. I like lobster. I like steak. I'm, the only food I'm not too sure about is kidney pie. <laughs> Why? I mean, it must have been a cheap way to eat. I just, I don't get it. If you like it, God bless you. I mean, I've had, honestly, there's an Asian dish with gizzards, and it's delicious. I think we need to pay attention to what's going on. They, there's some good cooking in Asia, okay? I know there's good British food, too. I like roast beef. But the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And it says in 1 John 3, verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, to take Samaritan women out of the gutter and place them in high places where they can profess the things of God, where they can see lives changed, where they can encourage other disciples who don't yet get it, that that's the places they need to go, that the people on the street that are begging are worth just as much as the people and the towers that are deciding how our tax dollars are spent. Listen, God has a plan for your life. Do not think for a moment because the devil has been lying to you that you don't have value because the cross differs. The cross argues with that point and the cross, I'm sorry, I believe defeats that point. Jesus has shown us that we have value. He says to us that his burden is light, and the reason is, is because he carries the load for us. And the truth is, as we lift out our life in faith, and we're called to do things that honestly are difficult, they are. In the flesh, we come to the end of ourselves. But the thing is, we can trust him, right, with our future. We can trust him with our family, with our business, with whatever, because he's the one who made it, he created it, he will sustain it, and he will sustain us, because in it, he is making us more like his son. And so when Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, teach us how to pray, and he's making reference to some Old Testament truth, he, he puts as part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, um, 
God, forgive our trespassers. Just like you forgive us. If you're a Christian and you know the forgiveness of God, you know peace. You know what it means to have peace with God. And God calls us to pay it forward. And in fact, he says, you know, in Mark, in Matthew 6, to uh, 14 to 15, just after the Lord's Prayer, if you forgive um, others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. It's good to be at peace with God. It's good to be the Samaritan man or woman by the well and have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's good to see someone who is struggling come home. And I celebrate that here at Faith Tabernacle Church, I've heard stories of people who have come out of situations that are just, it's amazing, and they're completely new, and they've experienced it, and they're telling others. And now more and more, just like the Samaritan woman or, 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 or Zacchaeus, or, people are being drawn to Jesus, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he's doing in our life. So can I offer you just two simple takeouts for today as my time is wrapping up? One, give someone a fresh start. There's people in your lives have hurt you, and I'm sorry, because the truth is some of your hurts have been deep, they've been long, but you don't have to carry them anymore. I just want to encourage you, if God gives you one person, 10 people, whoever, if he brings it to your heart and you're like, I can't do it, he's there for you. He carried the load. The story doesn't end at the cross. He rose from the dead and he's seated with God forever. I've seen the evidence. I've experienced it. Many of you have too. He is alive and there is hope and you could rescue a soul by forgiving someone and giving them a fresh start. The other takeout's simple. And you don't have to do this in your own strength or wisdom either. I asked you to give someone a fresh start. The second thing I might ask you to do is tell someone about the hope you have. So that they could have a fresh start. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful country. In some ways, it's a beautiful planet. But it needs hope. And certainly, if you don't know the hope or love of Christ, and you want to experience it, there's no better day than today to start. So I was a teacher for almost 17 years. And I've given you a bit of homework. I wouldn't suggest you're my students, but would any of you say in your hearts you'd be willing to give someone a fresh start today? It could be hard, but you're not going to do it alone. And the other part of that is if God gives you someone in your heart to tell about the hope you have, would you do it? Let's pray. 
God, I love you. You're awesome. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this country. I thank you for the hope that you have given and displayed that you would take your disciples to a place that was the wrong side of the tracks, that you would show them there is hope in the darkness, there is light, that people matter to you, that it doesn't matter what race, religion, ethnicity, what job they have, that, Father God, you are there in, in the towers and you're there in the basement, that you care for the people who have jobs and you care for them, they're looking for them, that, Lord, you are patient, but we don't want to test that. And today, Father God, as there are people in our lives who have hurt us, God, first of all, forgive us. Jesus, every single one of us, at least I have made mistakes. I thank you for paying the price with your blood. I thank you for giving us a fresh start. And God, you are incredible that you would trust us to do that for other people. I've got friends and family here, God, who are hurting. They have been belittled. They've been lied to. They've had things taken from them that should have never been stolen. But Lord, I believe you can restore. I believe you can heal. I believe you can make new. I have seen it in my presence, God. I have seen miracles. You are alive. God, can I just thank you in advance for bringing hope where it is needed, healing where it is needing, that you will touch us in deep and personal ways and give us the strength and peace and power and wisdom to forgive those who have trespassed against us, even if we're rubbing elbows with them right now. And we confess that, God, we can't do this on our own, but the good news is that we don't have to. because we don't ever have to be alone because we have hope. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you laid down your life so that we could have an international Christmas in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and celebrate together with our brothers and sisters of Christ across nations, in one nation, in one house, under one God who loves us and those outside. God, I just pray this morning, Father God, Just bring others home. God, give us what we need, and thank you that we have it, to go and tell the world about a true and living hope, a God who is alive, a God who is rooting for us, a God who believes in us, a God who hopes for us, a God who longs for us, a God who is patient with us, but he will walk through us through the ups and downs as we fall down sometimes. He'll pick us up. We don't have to stay where we are because we're going to great places. God, you are the difference maker and you're going to make the difference in this church, in this city, in this country, in this planet. And we give you glory in advance because we know and expect great things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Father God, I pray you would bless and anoint all that are here, Father God, and would open up their hearts to receive healing and forgiveness in the mighty name of Jesus. And that, Father God, you enable my brothers and sisters to be unified as a family of God we are called to be and invited to be a part of so that we can impact this nation, the nations, for Jesus. God, we're coming home, and we're coming home with more by your grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.